North Carolina found themselves in a big boy basketball game on Wednesday night against Michigan. But good news, they brought their big boy underpants and they took it to the Wolverines. You are Locked on Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, it's Thursday, December 22nd, 2022. Welcome into the Locked on Tar Heels podcast, the only daily North Carolina show out there. I'm your host, Isaac Shade, and I sincerely want to thank you for dialing in with us and making us your first listener watch every single day. Seriously, I was thinking about this. How cool is it that we just get to hang out and talk sports every day? It's so fun. I love it, and I hope you do just as much. This episode of Locked on... Tar Heels is brought to you by Sling TV. Don't miss a moment of Carolina's movement into conference basketball play, or you can check out next Wednesday's Holiday Bowl between the Tar Heels and, of course, the Oregon Ducks on Fox, right there on Sling TV. The TV you love for a price you love. Try it today. Coming up on the show, of course, we're going to unpack this win over Michigan on Wednesday night. We're going to talk some about early signing day, which happened for the football team on Wednesday as well. But man, first, like I said, off the top, here's where I want to go. This was an absolute man's rough, just dragged down out fight against Michigan on Wednesday night. Um, And I've seen a lot of teams do this to the Tar Heels because the Tar Heels are often known as a finesse team that isn't willing to get in there and grind and get dirty and do things like that. But that was not the case on Wednesday night. That is the biggest takeaway from this game. It was the best big boy response I've seen from Carolina in a good, good long while. There have been Uh, countless Carolina teams or countless Carolina games in recent memory for me um, in which the Tar Heels would not have responded well or frankly at all to the type of physical game we witnessed on Wednesday night. And what I loved about this is that not only did they not back away from it, it wasn't just that they accepted it. They embraced this. They took that aggression to Michigan And that's what you have to do to win big-time college basketball games. It's just another encouraging and positive step in the journey of the 2022-23 season. And I hope you feel the same. Now, a lot of the issue, frankly, lies at the feet of the officials in this game. Um, Like, I, I have my notes here in front of me that I was taking during the course of the game. And at one point I wrote, there is so much contact in the post not being called. Baycott just caught a forearm shiver to the face. And not only did they not call, they wouldn't even review it. Like, what are we doing here? But the issue, and it wasn't just that play. There were play multiple plays before that in the post where officials were just letting it go. And frankly, they let it get out of hand. They were not adjudicating this game, I thought, appropriately in the post. And it got out of hand on them. The fact that they had to call those four technicals is not on the players. It's on the refs for not managing this game appropriately I I don't think there's any reason they should get punished or suspended or reprimanded or anything like that but they've got to um, call that post action better Um, you don't just get to say oh it's a physical game we're gonna let them go 
because then what happens? Then it turns into exactly what happened where um, Caleb Love got fouled by Hunter Dickinson. Dickinson like stuck his knee into him. And then the refs assess four technical fouls, two to each team. Also, Hunter Dickinson had a personal foul already on that play. So we picked up two first half fouls and then had to sit for a long time, which I'm not complaining about on the Carolina side of things, of course. But that sucks if you're Michigan. And a lot of that, again, is on the refs, who then after that play, I started, I thought started calling too tightly, right? And it took the teams a while to adjust to that. If you're the refs, here's how I would rather see that happen. You go to both coaches, you go like maybe to the team huddle and say, hey, one want you all to be aware of this, coaches and players. We let things get out of hand in the post. We shouldn't have done that. Our bad. We want to let you know that we're going to be calling it a, a much tighter whistle the rest of the way. So just be advised that's what's coming, right? You do that, and then you have not only owned what you've done negatively, but you've set um, the tone and the expectation for how the rest of the game is going to be refereed. That's what needs to happen, and it doesn't seem like it did. Um, part of it that I love too is Coach Davis's reaction to this whole thing. He was animated, he was livid, and it wasn't just at the refs, he was like using it to encourage his team, like, let's go get in there and get this action. I mean, you heard multiple players after the game, if you listen to any of the press conferences, talk about like coach is always asking us to rise to the occasion, and that's exactly what they did in this scenario now the thankfully after that it really wasn't chippy after they assessed those technical fouls it was still though a very physical game a very tight game and and it felt just like two um, heavyweight boxers just going back and forth Carolina really kept trying to pull away Michigan kept responding kept punching back but perhaps the best part of that in addition to Carolina working to pull away, every time Michigan got close and close and close, this veteran, confident Tar Heel team found a way to keep counterpunching every single time. There were two occasions, Car Carolina led the entire second half, but there were two occasions late, like in the final three minutes of the game, where Michigan cut the lead to two. You probably remember it as well as I do, because it was some nervous moments. But on both of those occasions, Carolina responded with a bucket on their ensuing possession. Both times, Michigan never had the ball in a single possession game, either two or you know three points or fewer. And so I, I love how Carolina was able to handle that. And through it all, the Tar Heels kept their heads. And in a game that, that felt kind of ugly, right? Offensively, the Tar Heels shot exactly 50% from the field in this game. They finished shooting, what was it, 29 of 58, exactly 50%. That's a great sign in what you want these guys to do, even in a physical kind of ugly game. That's a great job by the dudes. Well, it does. All, this, this Michigan win wraps up non-conference play for the Tar Heels the whole rest of the regular season. Now you've had 13 uh, total games, two of which are ACC games already, so 11 non-conference games. And now you got 18 more conference games to finish off the schedule. So this four-game winning streak after the four-game losing streak leaves a great taste in your mouth um, ahead of the Christmas break for the guys. 
and especially winning this game in the fashion in which you did. It wasn't, it didn't take, um, you know, something of, of a minor miracle of a comeback as the Ohio State game did. Um, Carolina, after that first half run, led the entire second half, like I just said. And, and it never, it's odd because even though the, the margin got really close, it never felt like the lead was endangered to me. Um, but love to see it. So um, while you don't like the losing streak, again, you got to feel good with how Carolina has responded and what they'll be able to do as they head up to Pittsburgh uh, um, in about nine days um, to take on the Panthers to restart ACC play. Um, so it, to that point, Carolina now gets a much deserved break after playing seven of their last nine away from the Smith Center. They'll reconvene the day after Christmas, come back, so they get um, just shy of a week off, um, but in advance of yet another road game, as I just said, they're going to Pittsburgh. So they will have played eight of their last ten uh, away from the Smith Center. Pretty wild stuff there. Well, as we always do in our basketball game recaps, I want to give you my four-corner recap and my shady stat of the game. Uh, the four-corner recap obviously is a way that we always tip our cap to Coach Dean Smith. We're going to do that in just a moment. But first, this episode is brought to you by Bet Online, which is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From pro football to the college bowl season going on to basketball to the World Cup that wrapped up last week, they've got it all at Bet Online. So make sure you go check out the line for next Wednesday's bowl game between Carolina and Oregon. BetOnline is always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about all the trends in action. Bet online, where the game starts. Ooh, yes, four corners. I love it. I'm so excited. I love getting to, to unpack a game in this way because it allows me to really kind of dig deep into the stats like I love to do and then bring back some nice golden nuggets for you to chew on. That sounds kind of not tasty at all. I, I apologize. Uh, go find something tastier to chew on. It's Christmas time. You got some kind of candy in your house, right? Yeah, I do. It's coming. It's like overflowing my counter right now. It's awful. Anyway, number one. Our unsung hero, Leaky Black. We're going to talk about Armando in just a second because the dude is coming alive and I love it. But but Leaky Black, right? It, it doesn't always show up in the box score in a way that somebody would just look at the box score and say, oh, Leaky Black, player of the game. In this game, kind of, you know, got there. He led the team in rebounds. Um, I believe he had nine points, 10 rebounds. I had just put away the box score. I can pull it back up really quick. Yeah, nine points, 10 rebounds. Four of those rebounds were offensive. But Leaky just made some big-time plays. And, and what was neat about it is on a night where, frankly, Jet Howard, who is a just a, a stud, this is Juwan's son, um, had some success against Leaky, which you don't see many people take advantage of Leaky. It just lets you know what a phenomenal player Jet Howard is. Um, Leaky kind of put that aside and still made some great individual plays. It's like um, if a, a batter is struggling, a baseball player is struggling at the plate, but still high level defense out in the field. It's that kind of thing. Two plays in particular were just highlight real 
plays. I'm sure you probably remember them, but one of them is Doug McDaniel. What a great name. Uh, got a run out. He's one of uh, Michigan's guards, had a run out. Leaky chased it down, blocked the shot, and then had the wherewithal as he's falling out of bounds to throw the ball off of McDaniel, who was standing out of bounds. So he didn't even have to get it off him. It, it just had to touch him somewhere. And um, so Carolina gets possession there. Uh, another play later in the game. Michigan has the possession down just three at this point, and Leakey um, got switched off. Armando got switched off on some screening action, was out front guarding, so Leakey got switched off onto Hunter Dickinson. And what did he do? Well, as they went to make the entry post and take advantage of that um, mismatch, Leakey broke contact slipped around the front and was able to grab the pass, lob it, uh, another falling out of bounds play, lobbed it over Dickinson as he was falling out of bounds. I believe it was RJ Davis that caught the pass. Um, just two magnificent defensive plays there from Leakey. was really encouraged with that. The other thing with it is that Leakey was so aggressive offensively um, at, at times seeking his shot to find it there. Love to see that from Leakey. Number two on our four corners recap is folks, you better watch out if you are not, if you are not a Tar Heels fan or you're an opponent of the Tar Heels because Armando Baycott is looking healthier and better game by game. He is coming alive and he is ready. No double double in this game. Only had five rebounds unfortunately, but 11 for 15 from the floor. His field goal percentage hasn't been all that stellar, if we're, if we're being honest, but 11 for 15 in Wednesday night's game. Just absolutely great. Um, and in fact, since he sat out the Virginia Tech game, you might remember uh, he sat out. Uh, Virginia Tech kind of had their way inside with Justin Mutz. And um, if Armando's in there, it's a, it's a different story and Carolina maybe wins that game. Anyway, since he sat out that game, is Carolina's four-game winning streak since then, Georgia Tech, the Citadel, Ohio State, and Michigan. He has 20 or more points in three of those four games. The only one he didn't, I believe, was the Citadel game, interestingly enough. In that stretch, that four-game stretch, he's averaging 22.3 points, 11 rebounds, and has shot has made 35 of his 59 field goal attempts, 59.3 from the floor. I'd rather see him get up into the mid to high 60s overall for his field goal percentage, but that's up and above where he's been this season. So just want to see that continuing to rise. And once again, as he did last year, won the head-to-head -head matchup with Hunter Dickinson. Dickinson finishes, excuse me, with nine points and eight rebounds, um, but just three of nine shooting, zero assists, three turnovers, was kind of plagued by foul trouble. And in a game where there were there were a couple moments where I was I was getting worried that Dickinson was about to take over. There was a moment where first half Baycott went out. They went straight to Dickinson in the post. He abused Pete Nance. They went straight back to him in the next time. Carolina doubled down. They got a kick out three, I believe it was. And I was like, hey. But literally, Juwan Howard pulled him out on the next possession. It's like, all right, cool. Do it, right? And Carolina was able to. Meanwhile, Dickinson did that. Baycott, remember, 26 points, five rebounds on 11 of 15 shooting. No assists, but also no turnovers. You're just encouraged by that in a season where Armando has struggled some with his turnovers. Number three in our four corners recap, what set, what put this game into Carolina's um, 
I wouldn't say it put it away, but really turned the tide of the game. That's what I want to say. And put it in a place where it felt like Carolina had control the rest of the way. Michigan led 28-23 with six minutes to go. They had been up eight, maybe nine. Um, I was like, eh, it's going to start to it, – it just had that same feel as the Ohio State game on Saturday where they got up to a 14-point lead in the first half. It was heading in that direction, it felt like to me. But at that moment – Carolina went on an 18-4 run over the next five minutes to take a 41-32 lead. And then, as I said earlier, they never trailed in the second half. And so it was that that closing run, essentially, to end the first half that really allowed the Tar Heels to take control and ultimately win this game. Now, they had to keep winning the game in the second half, but they did that. And then four corners point number four. I I mentioned him already, but Jet Howard, Jawan's son, is legit uh that that pump fake that he has is dirty on multiple occasions he had leaky up in the air on that thing and as we said you don't take advantage of leaky very often um and so uh jet howard should write this day down but here's why i bring it up recruiting analysts kind of missed on him they had him uh what i think is is pretty underrated and now he's showing up in first rounds on mock drafts i think like just outside the lottery is the last one i looked at But here's what's really neat. Even though Leakey struggled with him a little bit, Seth Trimble came in and was able to slow Jet Howard down. I I think he bothered him a little bit, even though Seth Trimble was giving away five inches and like 35 pounds to uh, Jet Howard. Um, And so not only can Seth Trimble have that lockdown one-on-one man-to-man defense on another kind of 6'4", 6'5", guard like himself, but he can do that against a a bigger three guard. I I don't think I'd put him at the four, but um, kind of a wing out there. He's able to go do that and bother him a little bit like you do with Jet Howard. So that's why I bring that up is to just point out a little bit, man, Seth Trimble is doing it. I I know the shot isn't there yet, but the athleticism is, the the playmaking ability is, is, and certainly that man-to-man individual defensive capability is there well shady stat of the game i gotta get you that right you know it and we're circling right back around to our guy leaky why is that well i talked about it on last week's show and sure enough uh, it didn't happen in the ohio state game as i said it could uh, in, in Friday's show, but it did happen tonight where Leakey got two assists so he got is now up over 300 for his career so here's what that means he is the first ever Tar Heel in like Carolina basketball history to achieve the unique combination of things that I'm about to say. He's hit at least each of these five thresholds. 600 points. He's got 698, so just needs two more and he'll be at 700, and then we can bump that up. 500 rebounds. He's at 593 now, so just seven more and we can bump that one up. 300 assists. He's at 301. 50 blocks, although now he's at 74. <laughs> So we can call it 75 pretty soon. And then 100 steals. He's at 137. The only Tar Heel ever. Again, 600 points, 500 rebounds, 300 assists, 50 blocks, and 100 steals. And then legitimately, after their Pittsburgh game next Friday, it could be up to 700 points, 600 rebounds, 300 assists, 75 blocks, and 100 steals. Wacky stuff. Um, You love that stat-stuffing versatility that Leaky Black brings to this team 
Well, we do need to talk about National Early Signing Day because that happened on Wednesday too. It really wasn't that much of a wild day for Carolina in terms of like flips or, or losing recruits or getting recruits, but still want to unpack it for you, but also point out a new wrinkle that Mac Brown and his staff are looking at. And we'll do that in just a second. So, uh, seriously, we cannot get out of here without discussing early signing day. I know it's exciting to talk about the basketball game, but we've got to make sure to hit on this as well. It's become this weird annual tradition where coaching staffs sit around and wait with bated breath to see if the young men who are committed to their program actually commit to their program. Doesn't seem to line up, but that's what it is. What an odd dance that Mac Brown and his staff have to dance. Anyway, the big news, every year that Mac Brown has been back, this is year four now, the Heels have signed a top 25 recruiting class according to the 247 composite. This one, they're ranked exactly 25th. And so, um, you know, we're talking very uh, specifically just top 25, but they've done that. And that is an encouraging thing. Um, and in terms of the makeup of this, this early signing class, there's no high end in terms of like five-star talent on it. Um, it's just not the makeup of this class. Maybe, you know, somebody will come along as things go. But there, there are 20 newcomers that were signed on Wednesday, a full half of exactly half of them, 10 have been ranked by at least one of the major four recruiting services as a four-star. Six of those 10 are like consensus four-stars. And, and we're going to get more in depth into all of these guys in the days and weeks and months ahead. But I just want to at least enumerate them, walk through them, let you know who they are and highlight that group of six. So that's wide receiver Chris Culliver. He's the highest rated um, recruit on this uh, early signing roster so far. And then you, the next two are both Jacks. You've got Jabron Harvey and Tyler Thompson. And so excited to see what they will bring. And then the big dog defensive lineman, Joel Starlings, really excited to see him. Carolina's just had some massive, massive human beings lately. Wide receiver Christian Hamilton is fifth, and then quarterback Tad Hudson is the sixth of those consensus four-star players in this class. As for the other four players who are listed as a four-star at least somewhere, that's defensive back Caleb Cost, linebacker Caleb Lavalley, running back Jordan Louie, and tight end Julian Randolph. And so make sure you go check these guys out. Give them a follow on social media if you haven't already, and let them know you're excited that they're a Tar Heel. But here's why I want to bring uh, another reason why I want to bring this whole thing up, this whole wrinkle that we need to look at. The importance of early signing day is now becoming perhaps somewhat mitigated by the transfer portal and the ability of a coaching staff to go get proven veteran players without having to rely on high school youth or things like that that are coming in as freshmen and unproven, albeit, you know, high level. I think we've seen this year at Carolina, some of those guys who are in their second or third year that were really highly rated aren't necessarily panning out to the level you would have anticipated or expected, while some who you didn't anticipate or expect have blown up some of these like three-star guys, which is the other half of this class coming in. So you just don't always know what you're going to get. 
And that's the beauty of what the transfer portal brings is the opportunity to go get some proven veteran players, bring them into your roster and say, all right, boys, you're going to be part of this team. You're going to help train up the younger guys, but we need you to come and make us awesome. And that's what they're trying to do. And it's clear that Mac Brown is working to embrace this. Listen to this quote from him. It's interesting. Again, this is a Mac Brown quote. It's interesting that how much attention we have drawn from the transfer portal. It's absolutely amazing. The way you recruit the portal is going to be a huge difference in whether you're successful or not moving forward. And it's all new for us. And, and that's true across the country, right? Uh, back to the quote, but it's real and it's here. And we've just got to continue to upgrade by way of the portal. So listen, Mac Brown, even though he is an older coach, he is not shying away from this or learning a new way, new way of doing things. He's always been known as something of a recruiting savant, a recruiting master. And clearly he wants to continue on in that vein. And to wit... Over the course of the past week, Carolina has gotten three defensive back commits. One is ETSU, East Tennessee State cornerback, Elijah Huzzy, who was a first-team FCS All-American this season. He committed on Sunday earlier in the week. And then Georgia Tech safety, Derek Allen, who is Marcus's brother. Marcus, who has stepped in to helping out the secondary, has been starting at one of the cornerback positions, committed the next day on Monday. But then here's what's interesting. <clears throat> Carolina actually got a couple of transfer portal commits on early signing day. One is another defensive back. It's Virginia Tech transfer cornerback Armani Chapman, who's got one year left. He committed on signing day. And then on the other side of the football, wide receiver Devontez, Tez Walker, coming from Kent State, 6'3", 190 pounds. And he's got two years of eligibility yet left. And, you know, you hear, oh, he's coming from... <clears throat> Kent State, like, are you sure? Like, what? I don't know. But keep in mind, some of these guys will commit to more of a mid-major school and then play really, really strong football and then transfer up, as I like to call it. But you also notice things like this. He's a North Carolina kid. He wants to come home and play his last two years of college football closer to home for the, the state school, North Carolina. It's not all that shocking. And when he's done well, as Walker has, like notably last year against UGA, reigning national champions, probably going to do it again, went off for seven catches, 106 yards, and a touchdown against that Georgia defense. Keep in mind, not joking there. So <clears throat> it is a new dawn, a new day in the, in the transfer portal era with like, Hey, you're not necessarily putting all your chicken, all your eggs in the early signing day basket anymore. You want to make sure you have proportioned things out to look at what you're doing in the transfer portal as well. And clearly, again, Mac Brown and company are in on that. And I'm very encouraged by that. And you should be as well. Well, that's it for today's episode of Locked on Tar Heels. Great show today, uh, celebrating this tough, hard fought win. And coming up tomorrow, interview with Carolina linebacker Cedric Gray. Great stuff from him. Make sure you check that out heading into Christmas weekend. If you want to connect with us on Twitter, you can follow the show at Locked on Heels. You can follow me at Isaac Shade. If you're watching, you see it right down there on the screen. 
You can email the show, LockedOnTarHeels at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. It's always great when folks email. We have great conversation. For your next listen, I'd love to encourage you to check out Locked On Sports today. The biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. Locked On Sports today, available on YouTube, Odyssey, and anywhere else you get podcasts. Also, folks, please don't forget to subscribe, smash the like button, and leave some comments on your reactions to this game. Really appreciate you spending part of your Thursday hanging out with me. Like I said, it's so fun to get to talk Carolina sports, and it's always a great day to be a Tar Heel. Until tomorrow, peace! Peace!